Welcome to the SNR Podcast. I'm your host, Salima Ismail. Today's guest is Maureen Fry, a senior high reliability expert at Safe and Reliable Healthcare. Maureen advocates for servant leadership and recognizes the importance of not only giving voice, but making sure the conversations are positive, safe, and productive. Her strength is undeniable and was even recognized from a young age. If I look back to my youngest days, I can recall I was 10 years old and my father asked me to go with him because his own father, my grandfather, apparently was being taken to a hospital in New Jersey um, and was critically ill. And for whatever reason, my father asked me if I would go with him as he cared for his father and his mom as his dad was hospitalized. So as a little girl, I remember thinking, wow, my father wanted me there. Of all of the six children, he picked me. Why me? Why did he pick me? And my whole life, I wondered this question. And when I got there, it turned out that my grandfather had what was called an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And as a 10-year-old, they described it as he needed Teflon to be inserted into the vessel of his belly. And as a little girl, to me, that was a frying pan. So my visual was that they were putting a frying pan into my grandfather's belly. Now that I'm older, obviously, I realize what had happened and the severity of his illness. And during the course of that hospitalization, he died. So I was there with my grandmother and my dad, probably during the darkest moments of losing someone important to them as well as me. As the years went by, I began to understand that I was the best in those settings where situations were tough and people couldn't handle what was going on, whether it be physical blood or injury or whether it was emotional. So it kind of led me down a path that I knew that I was going into healthcare in one form or another. And so I ended up getting into nursing school and the rest is history. History in the sense that Maureen felt limited by the restrictions placed on her as a nurse and decided to become a nurse practitioner. I practiced as a nurse practitioner with 36 different physicians in the emergency department over a 27-year period, some that I found to be extremely talented and inclusive, and some that were very controlling and evasive to protect the profession. So during that time, I had multiple experiences where I either had a voice or where I didn't have a voice, where I felt that I could say what I knew and didn't know, and places and times where I felt like I couldn't speak up. And one particular case, I can recall a woman who had come in from a car accident, and she was basically fine in terms of the fact when you looked at her, she had virtually no sign of injury. She was very anxious, but she kept complaining about her shoulder, her shoulder, her shoulder. And I examined her shoulder in every conceivable way, left and right. And I worked with a physician who was not one you could approach, not one that you could say, I'm not sure, not one that you could say, could you help me? Because he would Actually, if you asked for help, you might go in the complete opposite direction. And this particular lady, when I presented the case about her shoulder, he came in and said, her shoulder's fine. But in the back of my head, I knew something else was happening, but I couldn't have told you what it was. So just prior to her being discharged, she became critically ill. Her blood pressure dropped. And it turned out that her shoulder pain was because she ruptured her diaphragm and it was referred pain to her shoulder. It was not her shoulder per se. And so she was rushed to the trauma room and was resuscitated. And she did fine. But I remember thinking I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't have a voice. So that may have been one of the earliest memories I have of knowing that there was more to this giving care 
than just knowing what was in the textbooks or knowing, you know, what drug to choose or even about the relationships with physicians and nurse practitioners. There was something more that had to be uncovered. So Maureen took action. So I went to our chief operating officer at the time, and I expressed my concern that we at the hospital that I worked at were still working in the quality assurance and safety role. So we were measuring quality from events, things that happened, but we were not in lockstep with what was happening in the country with the 10,000 Lives campaign for the IHI or the uh, To Air is Human with the Institute of Medicine. We were not in lockstep. So I don't think anyone knew that there was a science of safety. And we never looked to outside industries at that time because, you know, healthcare was different. And so we had to kind of create it along the way. So we leaned heavily on the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We were always partnering with think tanks, people who could think broader than we were thinking. And I think what helped us most of all in the early days is that we got one of our board of directors. He believed in us. And he funded us every single year for 45 of us to go to the IHI every year. So when you are allowed to be able to be immersed in the latest thinking, it starts out as safety, but very short order, you realize that you can't keep chasing harm. Yes, you can't ignore it. Yes, you have to have a healthy respect for the harms that can happen. But there's another side of this story that you also have to look at, and that is, why do people get it right more often than they get it wrong? Why every day do things not happen? Because you can chase all the harm in the world, and you can study it, and you can vow that it will never happen again. But healthcare isn't predictable. Not really. It has some predictable components. But every day, it's a different combination of providers a different combination of patients, a different combination of processes that come together. And they either work to produce an outcome or they don't. But more times than not, the harm, even if it's mild, is rare compared to what people think. Now, remember, infrequently, if it happens one time, it's one too many. But I'm talking about over the thousands of interactions that happen every day in a hospital, most of them went well. So with all of this unpredictability, What are the most important factors to focus on when studying the good outcomes? It's how people respond in the moment. Do they feel comfortable speaking up? Do they question what they see? Are they willing to stop the line if something doesn't seem right to prevent it from happening? Are they asking questions that show some humility, like what else could this be, rather than assuming that my perception is right, where they can speak to a colleague, be it a physician or a nurse, and say, I'm not sure, what do you think? Because in those moments are where harm stopped happening, because people took the time to honor each other, right, so that we could build a culture where people felt that it was safe to continue to do that. And the other is, there's also a shame that happens in hospitals when harm happens, right? So let's take it from a different point. People feel horrible. You know, staff members at some level were feeling personally responsible. Other people were at the time blaming them and passing judgment because how could that happen? How could, why didn't you know kind of thing? So when people are always chasing after harm, you're always working with negativity as rightfully so because the patients and families didn't deserve to be harmed. But let's just stop and think about the emotion to that. If you are feeling disempowered, if you are feeling like you weren't smart enough, not good enough, you should have been better, you should have spoken up, that can be disabling. 
But instead, when you can honor people who have stopped things, now I can tap into positivity and people love to be feeling like they did something meaningful. And guess what? It becomes infectious. More people want to feel that. More people want to know that they're honored because positivity breeds capability and it breeds energy and it breeds morale. Looking at both the positives and the negative sides of safety is what Maureen calls a balanced portfolio, where they look at the safety events, but also had a metric called harms avoided. Here is Maureen describing an example of what her team called a good save or a good catch. So there's a person in the emergency department called a log tech. The logistics technician's job is to make sure that all the rooms in the emergency department are stocked because, you know, if a patient comes in, you better have what you need with enough of them in that room. Well, there was a box of arterial blood gas kits that came in and they're normally with green lettering on them. And so when the log tech opened up the box, she saw that the blood gas kits were there, but the lettering was blue. So she opened up a second box and it was blue, and she opened up a third box and it was blue. So she assumed at that moment that they must have come in as blue. She didn't raise a question. She went out because it's a busy emergency department, and she stocked the whole emergency department. So interestingly enough, the patient who got pulled into the room like two days later needs a blood gas. And it's a needle that you stick into the the artery of the person's wrist to measure their blood oxygen level. And it measures a variety of other things, but it's a pretty impressive and pretty invasive test. Very important. And you don't want wrong results because you're puncturing an artery to get that specimen. But the person who was in the room was a respiratory therapist, and she looked up at the wall, and she saw the little container where all the blood gas kits are normally kept. And she said to this physician who was drawing the blood gas, I don't think that's right. And he said, what do you mean I don't think that's right? So she pulled the blood gas kit off of the wall, and he had already finished the sample. And she looked at it, and it had 117% more heparin in it than what was supposed to be in there. Now, that didn't go into the patient. Patient was fine but it would have affected the reading tremendously. And so they had to determine with the help of our pulmonologist, what could we trust and what could we not trust because of the amount of heparin in there. But moreover is they announced it on our daily call and the search went out. We actually had a photograph of it that everyone was to look in every nook and cranny of every department to try to find the blue blood gas kits and get them all out of there. So we stood down the organization and everyone went searching and they brought them to the command center so that we had new boxes of the correct one. It was just a shipment error on the part of the manufacturer. And so the issue is in a reliability organization, things still go wrong, you know, she assumed, right? But in this situation, as soon as it was identified, you immediately become resilient and contain it and you run back through, you get your whole organization ready to go purge the wrong product, replace the right, and then put in processes to really check at the time it hits the loading dock, not once it gets into the rooms. But you need to have people that will check along the way, never to assume. We need to have everybody watching, everybody being willing to stop something and question it and then have leadership support and honor. That nurse actually was met by the CEO, went and visited her, gave her a $150 gift card, made a big deal about it and said, thank you for essentially saving our patients. Throughout all of this positive work, Maureen ended up being quite familiar with all the major players of patient safety. So I have known every single person who has done this work in the country. It doesn't matter who they are. If they've done it, I've either read about them, I've either gone to a conference, I've either met them or I've hired them to come to my organization and share that knowledge with them. 
So naturally, she ran into some familiar faces. So we hired a guy named Michael Leonard to come visit us, our organization, and he was our keynote speaker that year. And Michael walked around the building with us all day, in addition to doing the keynote, and he talked to staff, and he talked to physicians, and he began to elicit a story that became kind of the rallying cry for us moving forward. And so after Michael left, we would continue to meet up with him and Alan at different conferences until eventually we hired them to come in and teach a patient safety officer program for our physicians, which was really all sprinkled with high reliability because we were getting clearer and clearer about the path we had to go and that we needed a village of people. Maureen took those learnings and took her healthcare organization to new heights, even winning the coveted and prestigious Baldrige Award on the state level. Eventually, she reached a point where it was time for a change. After having met all of the consultants all across the United States, after becoming intimately aware of all of the competitors and what they offered, all of which were great people, there was really only one path for me. And when I made the decision in the end of 2019, to change my career, I decided that I could no longer continue to just make this organization better and better because there becomes a point where the internal profit isn't necessarily the voice that people can hear, right? And so I was ready to do what I loved for people I love, with people I love. And I say that all the time. And what I wanted was to say, why would I keep this only in one organization? Why wouldn't we want to spread this? So it just so happened that I had made a decision to move on and Michael didn't know it. And Michael called me one day and said, Maureen, any chance you'd be interested in joining Safe and Reliable? Now he had teased with me for years that he wished he could hire me, right? Well, suddenly I'm, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Continuing her journey with Safe and Reliable taught Maureen some important lessons. If the leaders are not on board, this will not take off. And if the leaders aren't willing to go through a fundamental examination of how they lead, and if they're not willing to take a role in this journey, this likelihood of success is less. And I think that just keeps being more and more reinforced when I go from one organization to the next. When the leaders catch on and the leaders own it and the leaders are willing to be humble, servant leaders, willing to use the words and actions that are transformational to the staff, when they are willing to do it, it's like a fire gets set and the energy just goes through the organization and they change and they grow and their units perform. And Maureen relearned that lesson when COVID hit. COVID was a classic time where leaders had a choice. And some leaders said to me, we had to put our high reliability journey on pause because we had to deal with COVID, which told me that they didn't understand the role of high reliability. The leaders who said we decided to use the principles that we learned really seemed to succeed better. So what does that mean? People need to have a voice. Staff need to be able to speak up about a concern or a problem or an idea or a solution. They need to know that their voice was heard and valued, not by just the people they work with, but the people above them. And when those people voice their concerns, ideas, thoughts, or fears to their leader, that their leader actually heard them and said, let's see if there's something we can do about that. And if they're not, at least I can tell you what, why we can't do that. But I can say, I want to hear because you are closer to the work than I am. And I need to hear what are the pebbles in your shoes? What are the risks that you're facing? Because my job as the leader is to remove those barriers, remove those obstacles. 
And you say, well, you know, we can't be doing creative stuff during COVID. Well, yeah, you can. You can understand what's not happening at the local level. And you and your position of authority can actually has the capital to be able to improve that so that the people at the front line can still deliver the reliable care, protect themselves, improve their patient experience, work better as a team, and want to stay employed by your organization because it's a place where people care about me. Maureen also witnessed how clients using SNR tools were able to foster positive relationships with their frontline staff. Some of the leaders would open up a lens board and they would run a town hall out of the lens board. And all the units would sign on to the lens board to attend the town hall live through the lens board. And the staff would post their questions and the leaders would take each question one by one and answer them. And if they didn't have an answer, they'd say, we're going to get back to you on that one. But it was this deep, dense connection and care about, I'm your leader, but you guys, what is it that I need to do to make this a better and safer experience in this chaos? How do I help you? Those were the organization where I can tell you that once their patients' volume started to decline in COVID, they were in a better place post their big surge. They still have patients, but post the surge, they were in a healthier place than other organizations where the leaders either worked from home or stayed detached or didn't round. It's just a completely different feeling. And chasing the positive team feeling is what the HRO journey is all about. Here's Maureen summarizing what it takes to get there. You know, as we go further into this journey of reliability, it's sort of marked by a thousand simple steps, all with a consistent focus. And that is to allow staff to be able to be heard, to be valued, to be able to offer their ideas and solutions, coupled with a leadership team that doesn't assume that they understood immediately what somebody said, but in fact uses pausing, listening appreciation and curiosity to really understand what the person is saying, what the staff member is saying. And with that kind of dynamic, you begin to understand what are the real issues that people are facing. And if you give people long enough time to talk, they will also share with you ideas for how things could get better. Then if we took that and we actually began to implement some improvements, now the staff say, not only did you hear me, not only did I have a voice, but you actually did something. And now I want to tell you more and maybe I too will get involved in some of the improvement. And then if you take it a step further, I would never consider working anywhere else because I work in an environment where I have the equipment and I have the team members that I need. We work together as a learning community. We care about one another and our leaders care. And I know who my leaders are and I can raise an issue up without the fear of being criticized or embarrassed. And so suddenly you start to see this engine starting to turn. In Safe and Reliable, we liken that to a maturity model. When you start to feel this engine moving where everyone comes to work every day knowing that their day is meant to not only do the best job they can, but keep looking out for the risks that could get in the way and keep improving their job. Now we've got what's called a generative organization, a generative environment. It starts to generate this kind of engine of improvement that who knows how far this can go. We see a lot of people well on that way, but I suspect that we will suddenly start to see many more organizations with these pockets of excellence that are just really going to become the model for reliability for all the rest of the units. If you would like to contact Maureen or would like to submit any questions or comments about the podcast, please email podcast at srh.care.
That's all for today. The Safe and Reliable podcast was produced and edited by me, Salima Ismail. Our theme music was produced by MonkeyMan535 from freesound.org. Special thanks to Maureen Fry, and a very special thanks to you for tuning in. See you again soon.